Galatians chapter 5, God interrupted me yesterday. Does God ever, ever interrupt you? As Pastor Jimmy would say, that's a question. Does God ever interrupt you? How many of you like when God interrupts you? Would you, by uplifted hand, admit, I love when God interrupts me. All right, there are a few of you. How many of you will be honest enough because you're in church? Remember that. How many of you would be honest enough to say, I don't like when God interrupts me? Come on, my hand's up. So, all right, good. Confession's good for the soul. Well, one thing I learned a long time ago, that when God interrupts me, especially when it comes to a message, I better obey. Because there, were, there have been times in the past where I've said, well, God, I, I, I prepared this message. I worked hours, if not weeks, for it. And so I'm going to just preach this. And then I had to come down from the pulpit with great uh, humility, no, no, not humility, humiliation, because I disobeyed God. So this morning I want to be obedient. So the sermon title and the text that you have in your bulletin, God has interrupted, and I believe for a purpose. If you have a sheet of paper, I want to ask you to write something down. Uh, you're thinking, oh no, Matthew's giving us homework. There's a method to why I'm asking you to do this. Uh, if, it's, if it has to be your bulletin or whatever it is, I, I want you, between you and God, to write down a couple of things. The first thing being this. I, want, I would like for you to write down at least five things that motivate you. Why, why you get up in the morning. Why you do what you do from, from day to day. Things that bring excitement and joy to your life. And I encourage you, don't, don't take a lot of time. This is not a deep, deep question that you really have to think a lot about. This is one of those, I'm just going to ask you, whatever comes to the top of your head, just write it down. And the reason I'm asking you to write it down is because when, when I get to the end of this message, you're going to see how it's going to all come together. And my prayer is this, this is going to be a spiritual exercise that you do that you can look back months, if not years from now, and remember on August 2nd of 2015, this is where I was. And now looking back, this is where I am now, and I thank God that I'm further along now than I was then. So there is, there is a purpose to this exercise. Five things that motivate you. And if, if you haven't written those down, that's all right. I'm, I'm going to move to one more question. And this is going to be a lot quicker of an exercise. If you were to evaluate your spiritual life right now, how, how good your Christian life is on a level of 1 to 10... Where would one being not so great and ten being like, I, I am just on the mountaintop right now. I am closer to Jesus than I've ever been. Where do you fall in that category of one to ten? I, just what, whatever number comes to the top of your head, write that number down. This is between you and God now, so no cheating, no looking over the shoulder of anyone around you. This is between you and God. Now that you've done that, let's talk for a minute. Just 
One word answers, name some things that you wrote down that motivate you. Just quickly. Work, love, pleasing God, good spiritual answer. Uh, <laughs> family, hunger. <laughs> hey, yes. And some of you are motivated by hunger. Now you're what? In fact, Howard Sick told me in the choir room that I had to keep it short because he wanted to beat the Methodists to uh, lunch. So uh, I better put this and fast forward here in a minute. But anything else? Just quickly. Children, family. Ah, oh, yeah, that's a motivator. Yeah, it increases your prayer life. There are a lot of things that motivate us. Now I want to ask why some of these things motivate you. Your job. What motivates you about your job? Money. Yes, bills. What motivates you about your family? Annoyance. Well, oh, oh, no, that's... <laughs> We'll have an invitation. You can come pray afterwards. Um, but there's always a motivation behind the motivation. And I didn't think about that until just now. In, in asking that question. But, and, and I didn't plan to ask this. How pure are our motivations? How pure our motivations. I'm going to make another statement about these things that motivate us. These things are really our priorities. And, and they tell something about us in our Christian life. And I don't know what you put first, second, I don't know if you listed them in priority form or not. But this and the other exercise, first of all, I, I want to say one more thing about the, the five things that motivate you. The things that motivate you are your power source, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. And I'm going to ask you the question, and I, I want you j just to answer this in your heart. What's your power source? If I were to give this message a title, that's what it would be. What is your power source? What is the one thing that drives you more than anything else to do what you do in life, to wake up every morning and, and face the day and face all that's ahead of you. But then that one to ten exercise that I ask you to do, the, the level of spirituality is really your level of power based upon that power source. And I, I guarantee in a room with this many people, the answer is probably varied, unless some of you are just like really doing super great right now. Probably most of us were probably on the maybe lower end of the scale. And truth be known, right now, if you were to be honest with yourself, honest with God, and transparent before other people, you would admit, Matthew, I'm at a stage in my life right now where I feel powerless. I'm just simply existing from day to day and there's just not much motivation in my life. I mean, I, I have these things that I've listed, but deep down there's a void. There's something missing and I need more power than I am personally experiencing right now in my life. So that's what I want to talk about today. 
What is your power source? What is my power source? What is it that drives me? And today I want to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, we as Baptists, I don't know what it is about this, but we're comfortable talking about God the Father. We're comfortable talking about God the Son because, you know, Jesus is, you know, He is our Savior. But for some reason, when I, when I start mentioning Holy Spirit, and it's, it's very interesting that the ladies chose that for an offertory. We didn't plan that, by the way. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Um, but I, don't, I, I see Baptists start shaking in their pews. You ever notice that? You start mentioning the Holy Spirit, and we, all of a sudden we get a little nervous. And there's no re real reason to be, but He is our power source. And I want to look here in the book of Galatians and, and walk through a little bit of what was going on in that time and help us to see today how we can draw power from the Holy Spirit and how we can be at a higher level and a deeper level spiritually than where we are now. We're going to begin in Galatians chapter 4 uh, in verse 1. I'm going to walk through a few verses in chapter 4 and spend most of my time in chapter 5. But to set the stage, what was happening in the church in Galatia was false teachers had come in and they were teaching, okay, yes, you've been told that Jesus is the Savior of the world. You must put your faith and your trust in Him. But then, on the other hand, they were teaching that, okay, don't forget the law. All these great long lists of things that you have to do based upon Old Testament law, they said you can't forget that because it's Jesus plus law. Well, that is so far from the truth. Uh, Paul said very well in uh, Galatians chapter 3, he said the, uh, the law master, uh, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ so we might be justified by faith. He said the law was never intended to save. The law was intended to show you that you and I can't keep it. I must make a confession to you. I was driving to my mother's apartment in Clemson a few weeks ago and I discovered that I, now this was not something that I did on purpose but have any of you ever done a rolling stop <laughs> by the laughter I, some of you have have any of you gotten caught I got caught I'm still grieving over that one, by the way. But in getting caught, I realized this very principle. As much as I, I did not intend to break the law, and I definitely didn't intend for that officer to be nearby to catch me, by the way, but it reminded me, and now I'm much more careful when I drive. But we can't keep the law. As, as much as we try, and there are many people that think, well, if I do this and I do that, I'll please God. But we can't do it. So that's why Paul is writing this letter, and then he, he begins to get more practical in, verse, uh, or in chapter 4, and, and, and that's what I want to build upon to get to chapter 5, where the, the meat of this message is. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now... I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, is not different at all from a slave, 
though he's master of all, but as guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, here's, here's what I love in verse 4. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, born or made of a woman, made under the law for this purpose, verse 5. To redeem, that means that when we came to Christ for salvation, He bought us out of the slave market of sin by His precious blood to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. What you and I must understand is we were born alienated from God. But when we realized that we were sinners in need of a Savior, we called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, we were adopted as children of God. What a beautiful concept. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So not only did you receive salvation, but part of the package deal is you received the power of the Holy Spirit that is readily available to you at all times. And when you are feeling powerless like you might very well be in the pew today, you have the power of the Holy Spirit right here, right now. Aren't you glad? Now I want to move to chapter 5. You've heard Paul talk a little bit about this bondage. And he's going to go a little bit further in chapter 5, verse 1. He illustrates in chapter 4 what the principle that he was referring to in the early part of the chapter. And then in verse, verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The problem was they were in bondage because they were trying to live up to the law yet hold on to this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's where I... Here's, here's now the, the focal point of the message if you jump down to verse 16 of chapter 5. And we're going to spend the rest of our time in these uh, last verses of chapter 5. You need, if you need power, Paul's saying, here's your power source. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust or the desire of the flesh. I want to park on that for a minute. Walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. Why is it that people try to have the best of both worlds? They're trying to walk in the Spirit, yet at the same time they're trying to fulfill the desires of the flesh, and then they wonder why their lives are so messed up. I've been there, we've all been there. Paul's saying there's no way you can have the best of both worlds because there's going to be this, this horrible 
either, either you're going to be fulfilled and walking in the Spirit or you're going to be miserable and convicted walking in the desires of your own flesh. How many of you have, can, can admit to living a long period of a selfish life? I think we've all been there. And did we find that when we look back on that period of selfishness, was it really worth it? I didn't find it worth it. When I was running from the call of God and I was trying to do my own thing, I was miserable. And, and then when I finally surrendered and I said, okay, God, no longer me, but what you want from my life, there was a transition point that forever changed my life. And Paul's saying you can't walk in the spirit and walk in the flesh at the same time. These are two totally different worlds, so you have to make up your mind. Uh, do you want the spirit of God to be your power source or do you want the flesh to be your power source? Here's the problem. The flesh is going to drain your battery. But the Spirit is going to charge you and give you unlimited power. Let's keep going. Here Paul goes into this contradiction a little more in verse 17. He says, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. You ever wonder why you have a wrestling match and why you got the, the devil on one shoulder and this little angel on the other? Paul, the, what I consider the super saint of the Bible, was dealing with the same thing. It's not a new battle. And if you are experiencing that battle today, it's because God knows your potential, but Satan also knows your potential, and he's going to do whatever he can to keep you from living out God's best for your life. So he will tempt you, and he will present things to you left and right that will keep you from living the life God has for you. He goes on to say in verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. And then he starts listing the works of the flesh. Now, these things I, I'm not going to really spend a lot of time on. I think they're pretty self-explanatory. But he lists these things. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you before, just as I told you in time past, get this phrase, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that make anybody uncomfortable? I have to admit, first time I ever read that it wasn't in this particular passage because Paul repeats this in, in several of his letters. But all the, this long list of things that there's something in there that we have done over the course of our life that when we think about it, that it brings an element of shame. And Paul says those which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and that phrase is, is very often misinterpreted. Paul's not saying, okay, 
you, you mess up and there's no second chance. What he's saying is there is no way that you can habitually live in a life of these kinds of things and experience the, uh, number one, first of all, there's no way that you can do that without conviction and be a child of God. If you do those things and not even think the first time about it, just go out and enjoy this great long list of sins without a first thought, how can you be a child of God and, convict, uh, and experience no conviction of the Holy Spirit? But then, he gives a contrast. He t here in the previous verses, he's talked about all these sins, but now... When you're empowered, when you are walking in the Spirit, now He gives a list of things that happen when you are tied into the right power source. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit... And I'm going to walk through these just a little bit. And this is going to get a little convicting. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. How many of you just love everybody you encounter? Come on. Why is nobody lifting your hand? I don't. I'll be honest with you. Or no, no, let me rephrase that. I don't think I like everybody I encounter. God gives me the capability to love, but I think some of us even struggle with that sometimes. Your boss that's less than agreeable. You love that person? You so you think I'm trying to. Maybe it's a spouse, a parent. Maybe it's somebody in this building, and that's that's this is when it gets in your face. Maybe there's somebody in here, if I were just to start going down the roll and list names of the people of Ebenezer Baptist Church, and all of a sudden, the horns start coming out. Something's wrong. You're not tied into the power source of the Holy Spirit enough for the love of God to have been shed abroad in your heart, and, and there's, a, there's repentance that needs to take place. And revival is not going to happen. And I shared this with the choir Wednesday night. Revival is not going to happen as long as there are issues here in the church body. If you have an issue with a brother or sister in this room, you better get it right before the day's over. It might, it might be that somebody here offended you and didn't even know it. And you're going along and you, you're thinking about that person. I just can't stand that long-tongued Jezebel. Yeah, so, some of y'all thought that, obviously. That old gossip. And that person's going along not even thinking about, probably didn't even realize what he or she had done. And you are walking in the bondage of unforgiveness and a lack of love well, that person's going along free. And today's your chance to get it right. Let's move on. Joy. I've said this before. Christians ought to be the most joyful people. 
But I've heard from waitresses and waiters at restaurants that you may very well go to after church today that the church crowd is the crowd they don't look forward to serving. To me, that's the saddest commentary ever. We should be the ones that they say, oh, I can't wait until the church crowd gets here because I know I'm going to get treated well, I'm going to get shown appreciation and understanding because this restaurant's packed and the people of God are going to show love to me. But unfortunately, most waiters and waitresses on Sundays dread the church crowd. But when we're tied into the power source, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory that flows from us and gets, it gets contagious if you're showing it. If you let it pour out at work, if you let it pour out at home, it changes the whole atmosphere. The fruit of the Spirit is also peace. Some of you are sitting here today, you're, you're full of worry. You're, you're struggling, you're looking at your finances, you're looking at your health, you're looking at a whole list of things, and you are just overcome by anxiety. But today, the Spirit of God is calling you. you. You get linked up to me, and I'll take care of this. I will give you the peace of God that passes all understanding. Here's one. Now it's going to get more convicting. Long-suffering, patience. Y'all all have that, right? Every one of you, patient people. Especially when you're going down the road and you're in a hurry to get to work, and you get behind somebody in a 45-mile-per-hour zone that's driving 25 and wants to enjoy the beautiful, scenic view of the countryside. Doesn't that just make you say, Glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord? I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, part, one of my coping mechanisms when I get behind those slow people is I'll say, God, God bless that individual. Lord, help them. And in the meantime, help me too. Because it, inwardly I'm sinning. I'm going crazy because I have a destination. And sometimes I'm running a little behind. Patience is only something that can be produced by the Holy Spirit. And when He's your power source, He's going to produce that, pa uh, that patience. But let me remind you of something. The way God delivers patience isn't the way we necessarily like it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The trying of your faith, James says in chapter 1, worketh patience. So sometimes in order for God to do His perfect work in your life, He has to put you through the fire. Kindness. Goodness. I'm going to spend a little, little time on this next one. In the King James it says faith, but... Is also translated in other uh, versions as faithfulness. When you are living a spirit-empowered life, you are faithful or you are consistent. People can bank on what you say. They, they know that they can depend upon you and you have a, a, a level of just things just flowing right in your life and they know that when you say I'm going to have this done at such and such a time 
your word as as good as done. Another thing, gentleness, or as the King James has translated it, meekness. That is power under control. A lot of people confuse meekness to be weakness, and it, it, they are total opposites. When you are meek, you have power under control. You're not a doormat. When you are meek, you understand the, when it's time to stand up and speak up, and then you understand how you're supposed to conduct yourself when you have to stand up and be bold in certain situations. But that is something that only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, Matthew, you're, you sure are saying a lot about the power of the Holy Spirit, but we have to understand we cannot do this on our own. We cannot produce these qualities in our life. It doesn't matter how good our intentions are. God's Holy Spirit, as we yield to Him, as we grow in Him, God has to do this work. And then I'll speak on the last. In verse 23, temperance is also translated self-control. When you are living a life that is powered by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit builds within you self-control or discipline. Anybody struggle with discipline in your life? Why is it quiet in here? Come on. Give me a witness. Do you struggle with discipline in your life? I do. There, there are times when... You know, you have to do something, but you really want to do something else. So you say, I'll just put this on the back burner for a while because there's something else I want to do more. And we spiritualize our procrastination. Yeah, y'all done that. We say, oh, there's a godly reason for not doing this today. I hear people say, why do today what you can put off until tomorrow? Some of, that might, some of you might have that as a life slogan. I don't know, but... Self-control, when the Spirit of God has full control of our life, we have self-control because He produces that within us. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And he, and he closes by saying, against such there is no law. I'll read these final verses and we'll go into our invitation. Verse 24 says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you're growing in Christ, your flesh, your, your personal desires begin to die as, you, as He gets more of you. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And then he says something very interesting. Let us not become conceited because it's easy when you start growing in some areas it's easy to become conceited. I'll think, oh, I've, I've got this down. I'm, I'm starting to get pretty spiritual. I'm, pr I'm proud of myself. So Paul says, as you're growing, don't become conceited because remember, it's God that's doing the work in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In our spirituality, we can oftentimes try to show off 
and then we provoke other people and they don't want anything to do with Christians. You ever been anybody like that? They, they just got so overwhelmed with getting hit over the head with a Bible that they just didn't want anything to do with Christians. It's interesting that Paul gives this warning at the end of chapter 5, but then it's easy also in our pursuit to become more like Christ that we envy one another. It's the trap of comparison. We look at other people and, oh, I, I wish I could be like this person. I could be more spiritual. I could be more together. But, you know, the truth is that person might not be as together as you think he or she is. And when you get so controlled by the Holy Spirit, you don't think about those things anymore. There is one person who controls your life, and that's the Spirit of God. I've, I've asked Mike if he would show uh, a, a clip, and this is going to be our invitation. Uh, I want you to look at this video here in just a minute. This is a testimony of a young man who had, he had the wrong power source for a period of time in his life. And he shares his testimony and then following that minute of testimony, he and his mother and his stepmother along with the choir and worship team at Community Bible Church in San, San Antonio, Texas sing a, a beautiful song that has really meant a lot in my life. But I want you to pay attention to this testimony and then as God speaks to your heart, I don't know what he's saying to you today. Maybe you're here and you're powerless. You're about, you're about to give up. You're linked to the wrong power source. It's time to change. Maybe today you say, Lord, you need to say, Lord, I, I'm sorry for allowing other things to motivate me when the Spirit of God should be the one who is driving my life. Some of you today, you need to let go. It's time to say, Jesus, take the wheel. Because I've had the wheel too long and I've messed things up. So I encourage you. I'm going to be seated as this testimony is played. And then I'm going to encourage you just to bow your heads after the testimony. And however God's Spirit is speaking to you during this song, you obey the Lord. At first I was consuming a few drinks a day. Um, and then I quickly became an alcoholic. When alcohol wasn't enough anymore, I turned to drugs. And I was arrested at the age of 19 for possession. And at my worst, I had a $250 a day habit. I ended up spending more time with bar friends and people who probably didn't even care about me rather than spending time with my family and those that were close to me. You know, there weren't very many times where I uh, didn't feel like the Holy Spirit was telling me uh, that I wasn't in His will. There were also times where I felt like, uh, you know, I was strongly convicted about things that I was doing because I knew what was right and I knew what was wrong. There were also times where I felt like the Holy Spirit was whispering to me that, you know, I wasn't at His will, but 
that he still loved me and he cared about me. And even though I turned my back on the Lord and, and decided to do things my way, uh, he didn't give up on me and he still loved me. And Jesus came to my rescue. Would you bow your heads? How hopeless feels when you're staring at the bottom of an empty heart. In my life, I know how forgotten it feels. I'm wondering if the world even knows who you are. But I've never known anything, I felt anything like the love of Jesus. And it's hard to describe what's happening inside. But right now, all I know is it feels like redemption.
if you're thankful, would you give the Lord a hand of praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the great thing about it, our public invitation may come to a close, but we still have time because the arms of Jesus are wide open, ready to receive you. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you do not know that you would go to heaven when you die, please do not hesitate to, to talk with me after the service because I'd love to share with you how you can know for sure that Jesus is your Savior, that you have the power of the Holy Spirit, and heaven will be your home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done in this place today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for redemption. Lord, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for these who are gathered here today, O oh God. I ask that you would give them an overwhelming desire to, to change where they are and become more empowered by the Holy Spirit than ever before. And Lord, I pray it will begin with me. Lord, as we go from here today, keep us safe. And Lord, I pray for tonight's service. Lord, may you move in power and glory. And we'll thank you for how you answer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight.